Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Good morning. Thanks for turning my mic on. Yeah, I just remembered. You know, <laughs> see? I never make you're, mistakes you're gonna like get, that. You're going to get the hang of this one day. <laughs> okay. All right. In this high-tech control room we're in. Yes. The yes. of the legislature. Okay, let's start with some, uh, as, oh, we, as we make a terrible segue grimmer. to some very bad news yes. here. And so this is the opioid death count, the overdose, the overdose death count that's just come out. So the last month, 206 overdose deaths. So this continues nearly seven a day, second highest this year. So this continues to be a brutal death toll. 31 consecutive months of more than 150 deaths. More than 12,000 deaths since the state of emergency... Emergency was declared seven years ago. Uh, eight of ten deaths involve fentanyl, illicit drugs. You think you're buying cocaine or something. And no, there's fentanyl on it, and that's killing. And then another statistic jumped out at me. In 2023, 77% of the deaths are in men, most between the age of 30 50, and 30 uh, to 59. But, you know, three-quarters of the deaths are in males. Um, so, again, it's just a, this relentless pattern. Uh, nothing seems to be working. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I mean, there, there's maybe a perception that we're talk when we talk about this issue, people people imagine uh, addicts who are in like Skid Row in, in no. downtown. He said, some oftentimes we're talking about working people who looking for a party drug or something, or they think they're buying cocaine, or they think they're buying some oxycontin or something. People, no, are, and it's laced with fentanyl. People are dying in Carisdale and Shaughnessy and West Van. It's not yeah. a downtown East Side situation. Yeah, <clears throat> I, met, <clears throat> I met an old friend yesterday. I've known. I haven't seen him for years, but he told me about his daughter and married, fell in love, married a guy. And this is a you know high-ranking public official. Uh, daughter marries someone and falls in love, has a kid a year and a half ago. <clears throat> he went and got a street drug and died two months ago. Just a regular guy. And that's playing out on a daily, daily basis. Um, uh, again, six, seven deaths a, a day. And these are not hardcore drug addicts. Many of these are people are recreational drug users, yeah. and they're buying drugs laced with with fentanyl, right. and they're dying at alarming rates. And we all know someone. I know now five people who of who are sons or daughters or acquaintances of friends who, or and a couple of of friends who have died of uh, recreational drug use in the last seven years. The politics of this is is also getting very um, complex because, as we discussed yesterday, because there have been harm reduction measures that have been brought in to try and deal with this. There was the de- decriminalization that came in that was supposed to reduce stigma of drug use, encourage people to get help. We continue to see this brutal overdose death rate. You've got politicians on the other side saying that's not working. What we need is to pour all the money into treatment, detox, and recovery. So I'm where, not is, sure. where is this going now? Yeah, I'm not sure that's the answer either. I mean, you can't argue against more treatment, but I'm not sure that's going to stop a one-time recreational drug user who's not a drug addict, who's just going out and buying drugs, um, who doesn't need treatment because they haven't really had any experience. And those are, many of those are the people who are dying. Yeah. Um, again, is it safe supply? There's critics of that, that safe yeah. supply doesn't work. Others say no safe supply does work. Get rid of fentanyl out of the market. Certainly Lisa will point in the coroner's office is making the point that it's illicit drugs laced with fentanyl that continue to kill people. Okay, and on the issue of in the aftermath of decriminalization of possession, we talked about this yesterday, the, the number of municipalities that are speaking out and saying we're seeing too much public drug use, mm-hmm. especially in parks and playgrounds around kids, 
and we want the province to step in and put a stop to it. David Eby continues to hint that something's coming. Well, something is clearly coming. On, coming strongly on. hints that something's yeah. coming. We don't know what it is, though. Is it? Yeah. Is there? We talked about this yesterday. The House is not in session. It's not going to sit till uh, late October. So there's no legislation that could come in. It would have to be some sort of cabinet regulation that would have to kick in here. Which is that what you think's coming? Well, hard to say. I haven't followed up on with EB's office exactly what he's talking about here, but he says he is going to. They are going to do something in concert with the municipalities when it comes to this open um, use of uh, illicit drugs in public uh, settings. Okay, we continue to follow and that. Summer, and summer, where the timing's of concern, is that we're coming on to summer, longer daylight hours, better weather, people are outside more, so people are going to be using, presumably, these illicit drugs in public settings in, in more often than they would in winter. Let's talk about the situation at Surrey Memorial Hospital. And this mm. is a really interesting story this week where a group of emergency room doctors there say the facility is in a crisis. They released an open letter outlining it. They set up a website documenting some of the problems. And they also said that they felt like they're being pressured to shut up, that they're being told well, by I employee, don't, doctors, ta- don't talk. Doctors should push back on that. I mean, doctors hold all the cards here. If any bureaucrat's going to fire a doctor for speaking in the media... We're going to make a pretty big deal about that, yeah. and uh, they're going to get a lot of airtime. And the bureaucrats not going to win that argument. I'm sorry. You've had doctors on this show before, other sh- NW and Global. We get doctors talking to us all the time. They are understandably nervous sometimes about speaking out, but at the end of the day, they hold all the cards here. I mean, if Surrey doctors want to talk about their situation, they should feel free to talk about it and talk about it publicly. And no, you know, Fraser Health Authority pencil pusher, I think, is going to be successfully able to shut down a Surrey Memorial ER doctor from speaking out. I've talked to doctors who've been nervous about coming on this show, and I've tried to get them to come on. They say, well, I've received emails and, and, and warnings from the health authority. Don't, don't be talking to the media. And I look, they can't do nothing. They can't do anything to you. Do not, do not be afraid. You're not do not be cowed by the, these bureaucrats. Well, and this isn't a situation where we had it during the pandemic where some a couple of doctors were anti-vaxxers. That's different. You know, that was defying the science. This is basically about working conditions. Right, yeah. Um, and they should be free to talk about it openly. And we do have doctors talking about it openly. Um, and again, I think it's ill-advised of Fraser Health to pressure doctors or warn them that somehow they're going to face some sort of sanctions for bringing public attention to a situation that affects a lot of people. Let's listen to Surrey MLA Trevor Halford here, member of the opposition, BC United Party. Let's listen. If they're being gagged and not able to properly communicate to the public, that is completely unacceptable. And this minister needs to step in, do the right thing, lift those gag orders if that's the case, and allow these doctors to communicate with the public. Okay, well, Health Minister Adrian Dix later said there is no gag order. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these doctors are allowed to speak up and speak their mind, and I encourage them to do so. There's no gag order, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone in pressure. the health authority puts a, a memo together and sends it to doctors. I mean, uh, there's a lot of moving parts in the healthcare system, a yeah. lot of people. And, uh, yeah, there's no official gag order, but all it takes is one little email from a, from a senior bureaucrat to doctors to make them feel pressured. Okay, on one other health issue, the... The province sending cancer patients to Washington State for treatment. I had Kevin Falcon on this morning, the BC United leader, and he was ripping the government for this. He says it's the right thing to do. He would do the same thing if it was his call. But he also said that ripping the government for getting the province into this position in the first place. I reminded him Mm -hmm. after you reminded me earlier this week 
This happened under the Liberal Party watch, too, when they sent women with high-risk pregnancies to Washington State to have yeah. their babies. That happened under Gordon Campbell and the Liberals when Kevin Falcon was in his cabinet. So I reminded of them of, of that this morning. But then he said, what's different here is the scale of what's going on. Here's what he had to say to me, Kevin Falcon, a short time ago here. There will always be cases where we have to send people south, but it's very, very rare and it's far and few between. But to send 20% of your radiation uh, patients south of the border is extraordinary. There's yeah. no other way about it. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, Falcon's right. I mean, this is what, what is different about this situation is the scale of it. We and other governments do it as well. Ontario sends patients to Buffalo, to New York, um, but not huge numbers. This is unprecedented, and we're talking 2,400 people a year, almost 5,000 uh, cancer patients getting radiation pa- uh, treatments in Bellingham. Most of those people are going to be in Metro Vancouver because of geographical um, uh, alignment. But, but that's the extraordinary thing here is the scope of it yeah. and the scale of it. It's not the fact we, we have sent patients south of the border in smaller numbers for years. It does happen. But this the scale is – and also speaks to the extraordinary situation that's happening in the cancer system. Um, the BC United got some hands on some documents yesterday suggested that only less than 80% of people were getting radiation treatments within the prescribed 28 days of right. diagnosis. So. Yeah. Uh, there is a, There are problems now in the cancer system that were not there five or ten years ago. Okay, real quickly, let's talk about the, uh, a simmering labor dispute. We got the WestJet pilot set to possibly strike tomorrow. Yeah. But meanwhile, in the Fraser Valley, the transit strike there continues to drag mm-hmm. on. The union there now has been two months they've been off the job, have now, has now filed a bad faith bargaining complaint against the employer here, seeking an urgent hearing in front of the Labor Relations Board. Let's listen to Randy Coote. He's from the uh, bus drivers union there in the, in the valley. BC Transit should be getting involved. Uh, they are the government body that has to supply public transit to the region or to the area, to the Fraser Valley. And uh, their contractor that they hired are not doing their job uh, because they're not willing to pay fair wages for our members. Okay, so they're, they're seeking that wage hike. They want, mat- they want salaries to match TransLink drunk uh, bus drivers. How, uh, this thing is dragging on. Is any, any indication government will step in? Government will step in here? No. <laughs> Sorry to say, or whatever. Uh, keep in mind the Sunshine Coast uh, bus dispute went on a long time. I think months and months, almost a year, I believe, before Vince Reddy stepped in and came up with a magic solution. I wouldn't be surprised if Vince Reddy at some point gets involved in this, but he usually waits a bit. This has been two months, which if you're walking a picket line, that's a long time. But for Vince Reddy, Vince Reddy's whole approach is to put maximum pressure on both sides to get a deal, to force them into a room. No one, you know, steel cage, no referee, no one comes out until there's a deal. And he does that only when there's maximum pressure. I don't think we're at that point yet. Let's go right to your phone calls. Deb in Victoria. Hi, Deb. Go ahead. Hi, Mike and Keith. Hey, you know what? I just wanted to say about the gag order thing. It's not coming from the health authorities. It's coming from the College of Physicians and Surgeons because that is a very powerful body and they keep their their professionals in line. So I believe that's where it's coming from and not um, and not politicians. Thanks very much. Thank you. Well, that's an interesting observation. Um, we do have doctors speaking up all over the place. I mean, you know, we have regular doctors on Global who we use, sure. two, two or three. You have them on NW. I mean, doctors are... are feeling free to speak their minds on an, as they should. 
There should be no gag order on medical professionals when it comes to these types of issues. Those who are defying science and stuff and oh, yeah. prescribing bad habits, that's different. We're talking about working conditions and healthcare resources. And doctors are in a prime spot to comment legitimately about that. So I invite all doctors, if they hold the cards here. Um, Absolutely. There's I, a shortage of doctors. I mean, if there's, there's any a shortage of, the, of nurses. These emergency room doctors at Surrey Memorial. If you if you want to be on this show, I, I would absolutely invite you to come on. Send me an email, and I guarantee Mike you, Adrian Dix, Adrian Dix is not going to allow you to be disciplined. That's for right. Speaking up. That's right. They should speak up. Paul and Delta. Hi. Hi there. Uh, thanks for taking my uh, call, guys. But yeah, I work in healthcare. It's not that it's coming from the College of Physicians. The the, the government passed Bill Thirty Six. The writing in this in this bill is so vague that people in healthcare are scared to speak out. Some of the some of the things in there are talking about a six month uh, uh, jail sentence, a two hundred thousand dollar fine. We need our healthcare workers to come back. I don't understand why they're allowed back in, in other provinces, but for some reason in BC they're not allowed to come back to work here. The media has not been talking about this. You guys can't say, yeah, the media is is there for you guys. You guys have not been here for us at all. Well, well we say us. You're the anti-vaxer people. Well, you know, Bill 36, which is over... conspiracy theories abound about that. Yeah. I mean, well, we have, covered, are, we have covered that on the show, yeah, actually. There's an overhaul the, of, the, uh, of, of the governing yeah. bodies. So what's happened is the unvaccinated healthcare workers who can't work in the healthcare system is seized upon Bill 36 as somehow proof that they must be vaccinated, otherwise they can't work. That's not what Bill 36 is. It's an overhaul of the college accreditation system. Uh, the legitimate criticism is it was a very, it was like a 400-page uh, bill. It was a lo- very big bill, passed in relatively short time. Uh, the B.C. Liberals, as they were formerly called, supported it, but did, did not support the rushed passage of it because there wasn't a, a, a legitimate time for debate on what was a significantly detailed piece of legislation. 400 pages, not enough time to go through it in the House. It has led to some conspiracy theories, though. Let's go to Brian in Coquitlam. Hi, Brian. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. I want I want to address the uh, issue related to the drugs. I think the best thing that we could do is to basically legalize them all, commercially produce them all so we know what it's getting, tax it, and the taxes can pay for the treatment for those that do develop mm-hmm. issues. And at least with this, you take out the money from the drug cartels, and then you prescribe the, the, the drugs to the addicts as a management measure and give it to them for free so they're not breaking into cars and they can use their, their other money for food and stuff like that. And then you, you drop the crime rate and insurance rates go down and everything else. Yeah, you're going to yeah. have a few people that develop problems because they go to the store, buy drugs, and get addicted. But it's the same with alcohol, it's the same with cigarettes. So just commercially produce it all, tax it, and take the money out of the cartels and more money for treatment for those that problems. Thank you. Oh, that's not a unique point of view. I mean, that has been floated before. Sure. Get into the commercial production of this. I would suggest, though, that you know, manufacturing cocaine and crystal uh, meth is a little significantly different than producing alcohol or tobacco. And I don't. Th- and that's why I don't think you're going to see politicians take that big leap into advocating the commercial production. We've, of they've taken drugs. a very small step in towards safe supply with like hydromorphone vending machines and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And there's a huge backlash over that big already. Di- already, so. just on that baby step. And there's a big difference between legalizing cannabis and legalizing co- uh, cocaine and production of it. He thanks a lot.